Who doesn't love coming home to a new package on their doorstep? Today I got to come home to this awesome Comics for Fun and Profit shirt on mine, and you can too. If you go to comicsfunprofit.threadless.com, you can check out their cool merch and get a shirt just like me. That was comicsfunprofit.threadless.com. Join the club. It's where all the cool kids are. Hey, Drew. What's up? Uh, okay, so I've got a problem. Uh, you know, I know. So many. <laughs> I wake up too early. I go to my job, and I am not a morning person. I am dragging in the day. And I develop this horrible habit of drinking these stupid energy drinks. 180 milligrams of caffeine. You know, the jolt I need, or I think I need at least to get my day started. And then by the time I come back, you know, after lunch from my two o'clock, I need a second one. That's almost 400 milligrams of caffeine I'm putting right in my body. And boy, does it got me feeling pretty crappy by the end of the day. So I need to break that habit. And Drew, I've found the elixir that's going to help me break that habit. And it is Magic Mind. Yes. Good stuff. It is uh, gives you energy, but not uh, energy that's going to get you jittery. And it it it's got a it's got stuff in it that will actually help you be focused and mm-hmm. and get your clarity going and get get your creativity and your juices flowing, as well as the energy boost. And you know they've got some really interesting. Uh, all natural ingredients that in a combination one of them is called ashwagandha um and it's an adaptogen that um reduces stress and anxiety and golly in this world nowadays if you can give me something that reduces my stress and anxiety <laughs> i'll take all the ashwagandha you can stick in there so that that's Absolutely. that's a really cool uh, added bonus. Um, and we have things like lion's mane mushroom. And the big thing about that is inflammation. I've been talking a ton with the family about inflammation, how all oh, the yeah. sugars and things we ingest cause oh, inflammation yeah. in our joints and inflammation in uh, our lungs and all the rest of our, our organs and stuff. And it's so bad for you. And, you know, with me, with all the joint pain I have anyway, the last thing I need is additional inflammation. So anything I can take that's going to be healthier for me, sustain my energy and help relieve all the inflammation from the things i'm supposed to be preventing that's absolutely the things i need to be putting into my body and magic mind has all that really cool stuff in one nice little easy shot container i just can grab one on the way out of the door and it's good sustained energy in the morning keeps me from having that crash you know makes me so i don't pass out at work and get fired all the good things that i need (laughs) and yeah it, it, it tastes good um i encourage everyone to try it um if if you're not 100 percent all day long, this is this is going to get you there. It's it's kind of a game changer. Um, what you want to do is if you feel, if you feel you want to try this out, go to MagicMind.co/slash/comicsfunprofit and use our code. You can get 20 um, percent off uh, of an initial one-time purchase or up to 56 percent off of a subscription. So if this sounds good to you, go to MagicMind.co slash comics fun profit and use our code cfp you can get up to 50 percent 56 percent off your subscription for the next 10 days with the code cfp or you can just use that discount code cfp at magicmind.co slash comics fun profit to get 20 percent off a one-time purchase just to sample dip your toe check it out aloha it's jason from hawaii welcome to a special edition of the comics for fun and profit podcast in this episode, I will be interviewing 
Anthony Award-winning writer Alex Segura. He is here to promote his story in Ahoy Comics' latest anthology series, Project Cryptid. Now, um, listen, for the um, probably for over the next couple months, I'll be interviewing a couple other writers um, to promote this anthology. Um, and I'm going to make it clear, please note that Alex's story will appear in issue number two. Now, the first issue of Project Cryptid comes out on September 6th. Final order cutoff for issue one through Diamond is July 27th. And through Lunar, it's on August 6th. Now, Alex, welcome to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. And yeah, I'm good. No, thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for coming on. So I just... um. I just want to go over some of Alex's past works. Now, he is a novelist. He um, he wrote the Peter Fernandez PI series. Is that private investigative series? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's is there like five or six books in that series? There's five. Yeah, oh. five Peter Fernandez novels. Okay. And also, you wrote the Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall novel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then also too. Um, he has written numerous stories for comics such as The Dusk, Edge of Spider-Verse, Superman Kal-El Returns, and Archie Comics. He has done a he has held numerous jobs in the comics industry. He was form, formerly a co-president of Archie Comics, senior VP of sales and marketing at Only Press, and a publicist at DC Comics. Um also too, um he's also um worked in um some fan press um um Stuff such as um, Newsarama, short, uh, did a short stint in Wizard, and also you um, worked in a newspaper as an editor and writer. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, sir. All right. And then, of course, we and later in this interview, we're going to talk about his latest novel, Secret Identity. So, And I can't wait to check out that novel. I can't wait to check that out. I hope you like it. Oh, thank you very much. Alex, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything or do you want to um spotlight on anything for listeners to check out uh no that was a very robust biography i also just released uh this year in may uh i wrote uh, aranya and spider-man 2099 dark tomorrow which was a spider-verse novel uh through marvel press and disney books oh that's right yes i yes i forgot to write that one no worries right it's a lot of books (laughs) (laughs) all right now, before we begin the interview, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah Bahedri of Superfan Promotion for setting up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much. Um, Alex, would you like to add anything? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, uh, David. Everybody at Superfan. Appreciate it. Okay. Now, listeners, I got some of my background information from the Bearded Comic Bro YouTube podcast. Now, that was dated earlier this year on January 5th, 2023. If you get a chance, Please check out that great interview. Again, I got some of Alex's information. Um, yeah, so I got some of the Alex's information from that interview and also from his website, um, alexsegura.com. And that's A-L-E-X-A-S as in Sam, E-G-U-R-A.com. Alex, this is the perfect segue. Would you like to promote any of your web, um, your social um, media platforms? Sure. Uh, in this ever-growing world of social media, yes. uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Segura, on Instagram at Alex Segura Jr. That's also, I guess, my threads uh, handle as well. 
I'm also on Blue Sky and Facebook and um, yeah. And my website's probably your best bet to just give you all those links. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Now, listeners, we're going to jump in. We're going to start, start talking about Project Cryptid. For listeners, Cryptid, um, the definition for cryptid is basically there are animals that cryptozoologists believe may exist somewhere in the wild. And we've all seen these stories. We've heard about these creatures. They're like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, etc. These creatures exist in pop, pop culture, ranging from the X-Files to reality TV shows, Finding Bigfoot. And also, I remember, too, um, Harry and the Hendersons movie. Yeah, that one back in the 80s. I almost forgot about that one. Um, I'll be honest, I am fascinated with all of this, and yet at the same time, it's a little bit skeptical. But overall, I, I love getting I love I love it. I get a big kick out of it because to me it's entertaining and it's just a lot of fun. It is. Now, how does this relate to Ahoy Comics? Ahoy Comics will be celebrating its fifth anniversary this summer, and they will be launching a new anthology series, as I mentioned earlier, Project Cryptid. Um in September as well. Um, now, a brief description of Project Cryptid from Ahoy Comics website. Quote, this will transport readers from the depths of the Loch Ness to the wilds of the Yeti Himalayan mountains to the Ohio backroads where the Loveland Frogman lurks. I've never heard of that one, and I want to look that Love, Loveland Frogman um, um, myth and whatever. So, and it's asking important questions like, are any of these mysterious, unthinkable creatures actually real? And more importantly, are they funny? Now, this new anthology will feature stories from, of course, as I mentioned, Alex, Mark Russell, Alyssa Quitney, Bryce Ingram, Peter Krause, and Jamal Ingle, just to name a few. As I mentioned before, Alex's story, um, Alex's story will appear in issue two. Now, Alex, I'm going to start off. What is your story about? My story is called uh, Diana Montalban and the Ivory-Billed Woodpecker, and it's uh, it's kind of a funny route to this. Uh, Sarah Litt reached out to me, the editor, one of the editors at Ahoy, mm-hmm. and she said she was putting together this book. And I said, well, I have a character. I wrote a short story for this um, anthology called Thrill- Thrilling Adventure Yarns that was edited by Bob Greenberger, who... Oh, uh, has written Star Trek novels, was an yes. editor for a long time at DC. We also worked at Marvel. Very, you know, we're old friends. And I wrote the first Diana Delvon story as prose in that anthology. And I thought, you know, her whole shtick is kind of investigating the things that blur into, you know, blur between reality and the supernatural. Yes. And so, you know, I asked Sarah, I was like, could we use this character that I have? Um, and she was all for it. And so the idea is. She's very much a PI, but not a PI. She owns a <laughs> a store a storefront on uh, in Miami, Florida, on Coral Gables Miracle Mile, called Caminos Misteriosos, Mysterious Walk Pathways. I guess is the best translation. And she basically helps people with problems that they can't bring to the police or traditional mm-hmm. uh, traditional infrastructure. Um, so the story starts with her old teacher walking in in the door and basically letting her know that someone has stolen a well-known Cuban cryptid, except it's not a cryptid in the way you would think like a, you know, like, uh, like Harry and the Hendersons or Mm -hmm. some kind of monstrous creature or the Chupacabra. It's a woodpecker. It's just a very unique kind of woodpecker that has never really been seen 
fully. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a, a lore and um, a legend of some kind. And so she starts investigating it. And obviously there's more to it than just a missing cryptid. There's also some some uh, subterfuge. Someone's trying to steal something in relation to the woodpecker. And for me, it was fun because I love the character and I, I didn't want it to just be a one and done mm-hmm. thing. It's anthology. Uh, um, I like the idea that she started out in prose and she's now evolved into comics, which is fun. Um, and I was really excited to work with not only Sarah and Ahoy and Tom and the whole team there, but uh, Steve Bryant is the artist on the book and he's fantastic. Uh, he mm-hmm. he does this kind of uh, Indiana Jones type series, Athena Voltaire, among other things. And he oh, we yes. have a lot of the same a lot of the same uh, taste in books. And uh, we love both love crime fiction. Um, and so we've chatted and we've been friends for a long time. And so when this popped up, I asked him, "Would you want to draw it?" And I sent them the short story and he was into it, thankfully. So it was uh it's it's fun and we hope hopefully we'll get to do more. Oh yes, oh yes. That that sounds great. Um let's see. Um let's see. Um how much fun did you know, did you have to do any research on on this, on this particular um woodpecker? I did. Sort of I cryptid? mean mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I did. I did some research. I, I read some articles about it and uh, I kind of did a, a deep dive into, I didn't want to do the obvious thing. I didn't want to do like, you know, you think Miami and then you start thinking about Chupacabra and that, that kind of cryptid. Yes. And I feel like that had, has been done before many yes. times. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote a sort of cryptid for the first story. It wasn't really a traditional cryptid. It was more about um, a, like a shark and a, a shark's tooth and a mystic, the mystical powers that come from a, a, a shark skeleton, but it was similar in, in that vein. So this felt uh-huh. like a good follow up. So yeah, I did some research online, did some reading, and kind of, you know, the the thing with research when you're writing fiction is you do just enough so you can write make up the rest. Yes, you know, it's yeah, like, because it yeah, you know. So I, I did uh, did uh, did what I needed to do, and it was fun. It was really, you know, it's I've always been fascinated by birds and like the uh, the very different kinds of kinds of birds and, and mm-hmm. you know the areas they're from and how they migrate and the idea of a bird as some kind of not object but something of great value is is interesting to me and um you know you learn as you read the story that the person that comes to diana's shop is someone she has a history with um not necessarily mm-hmm. romantic but some kind of personal history so you get a you get a hint at her past and we kind of lay the foundation for hopefully more stories in the future oh that'd be nice but i i have to say that is so cool that you decide to do, you know, um, focus the story on the on this woodpecker, mm-hmm. you know, it, it because it's because when we start, you know, as soon as you know, as soon as I start mentioning Bigfoot or when I start reading about what Ahoy was doing with this, you know, I'm like, okay, you're gonna have you know, you're gonna have your Ogopogo, you're gonna have the Loch Ness, you're gonna have the Yeti, you're gonna have the right. Bigfoot, that you, you, all the all the typical cryptid monsters, but for you to bring this, this is so cool. It's unique. And then we get to learn just, I mean, just enough, just a little bit about it. Yeah, the yeah, background. Part of it is, as a writer, you want to keep yourself interested. So I didn't want to feel like I was treading over what had probably been done before and done yes. better, arguably, by others. So I wanted to do something that was interesting to me that felt uniquely Cuban and Miami. Um, yes. And also, I really love this character. I think she's really interesting and complicated, and I wanted to give her a chance to shine in another medium, which I think you don't see often. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. And then um, you probably you probably have mentioned it. So correct me if I'm wrong. So Sarah, so Sarah Lit, um, 
from Ahoy Comics, she contacted you to see if you were interested? I, I, I'm i sorry, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We worked together at DC forever ago and kind of kept in touch. And, you know, comics is a very small industry. And so she reached out. Um, you know, we just checked in and, and she mentioned she was working at Ahoy or doing stuff at Ahoy. And then she mentioned the anthology and we went from there. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Now, you already gave a shout out to Sarah. You already gave a shout out to Tom, your artist. Any other um, any other shout outs you want to give to the creative team? Uh, yeah, the whole team has been great. I'm I'm waiting to see who's coloring the pages and lettering the pages, but I'm sure they will be amazing. So mm-hmm. uh, once once those once I turn in my script and it gets lettered, it'll mm-hmm. be it'll you know I I will give great praise to that team. But you know Sarah's a very savvy editor, so I'm I'm confident that it'll be a, a fun end result. Okay, all right, thank Alex. Thank you very much. Now. We are going to go into, we're going to start talking about secret identity. Sure. Now, Ed Brubaker wrote this. With secret identity, Alex Segura perfectly recreates the 1970s comics industry while at the same time creating a unique new character in the center of that world and giving her a murder to solve as she struggles with the sexism of her times. This book was a page turner in the best way but the characters and their lives felt so real that I found myself wishing to continue even past the mystery, a truly special noir book. Now, Alex, I'm going to ask you for listeners and to me, because when I heard, I'm going to mention, sorry, this is off the cuff, but when I heard about this book, I wanted to pick it up and, and I've always, and I've been meaning to reach out to you to, for an interview, but, this is the perfect way. You... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the story about? Uh, Secret Identity is the story of Carmen Valdez, who is a queer Cuban-American woman who moves from Miami to New York in 1970, in the 70s. Uh, the story picks up in 1975. Um, she's a comic book fan. She grows up mm-hmm. reading comics. She learns to read English from Archie Comics and mm-hmm. comics as a kid. It's a strong point of contact with her and her dad. And so she pursues her dream of writing comics and she moves mm-hmm. to New York to, you know, seek that out. She gets a job as a, a secretary executive assistant at this third rate publisher called mm-hmm. Triumph Comics, which is basically if Marvel and DC are A and B, yes. Triumph is a C or a D, like pretty far down the line. So, yes. um, and she uses her time there, not only doing a great job running the office, but also pitching ideas to her boss, who's mm-hmm. the editor and the publisher. Um, the story starts with her boss basically taking her aside and saying, look, I'm not going to take any more pitches from you. I have other mm-hmm. ideas for you. Um, let's just put a put a pause on that. And so she's obviously despondent and frustrated. Um, and we when we catch her in her apartment kind of reeling from this meeting, she's approached by another colleague, a younger co-worker named Harvey, an assistant editor at Triumph. And he tells her that their boss has asked him to launch a new female superhero for the company. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what to do. He knows she writes comics on the side. He knows that she's been pitching their boss mm-hmm. and like to collaborate. So it sounds great. But the only hitch is that she needs to do it anonymously mm-hmm. because obviously her boss has already said, I don't want any more pitches from you that, you mm-hmm. know, just cut it out. Um, but Harvey promises her, you know, once this becomes a hit or gets rolling, We'll, we'll mention that you're involved and we'll get everything above board. So mm-hmm. she takes that leap and she decides to create this character called the legendary Lynx. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's like a street level hero akin to the cat or daredevil mm-hmm. uh, or moon Knight. Um, and she writes, she turns in all her notes to Harvey and script samples. And then the next Monday she comes into the office and realizes that 
he turned them in as six scripts to mm-hmm. their boss. And what she also realizes is that her name's not on it, which was part of the deal, but she's yes. still kind of surprised. Um, so she tries to track him down and she discovers that he's been murdered. Mm-hmm. So the only person that knew Carmen was at all involved in this character is dead. And she takes it upon herself to solve the crime to kind of reclaim this character that means so much to her. That's such a yes. product of her notes and her passions. Um, and as you're reading the novel, you're reading the prose, you see mm-hmm. interstitial sequences of the comic book. So you get to read mm-hmm. links as ghost written by Carmen and drawn by this um, curmudgeonly but supremely talented artist named Doug Detmer. So it's a very meta way mm-hmm. of mixing amateur sleuth mystery with comics. Oh, that's so cool. And then um, for the sequence part, because um, who is your artist on that? Sandy Gerald, who is amazing and is a, a kind of a amateur comic historian the same way I am. Like he just loves the history of the medium. So he evokes that period without, you know, he's not imitating anyone. He's not yeah. like trying to do Frank Miller or trying to do Gene. Oh, Cole no, or, yeah. You know, or Novick or whatever. He's uh, he's drawing. It's Sandy drawing, but it's very mm-hmm. much in, in the vein of that era. And it just, you know, it's really fun. And it's just it was such a blast to work on. So, yeah. Oh, my God. God, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going off the cuff, but no worries. God, because because um, because I remember those comics from the '70s. I mean, you could tell DC and Marvel, but and because I know in in um Bearded Comic Bros um interview, you mentioned like Triumph Comics is like Charlton Comics or um God, yeah yeah like Quality or Charlton or yeah oh uh, God or in, yeah. Yeah, but I remember, or Gold Key, you mm-hmm. know, oh my God, because I remember you could tell the art, you could, like Charlton, um, if it wasn't Steve Ditko or John Byrne, you could tell that some of the art, it, 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 it was, it was okay, it was, it was okay, you know, but yeah. it was just simple and it was just plain, but mm-hmm. it was, as a kid, it was a comic book, I read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, but, oh, see, now, now I now I really want I I'm being honest I now I really want to read this I really I hope you like it yeah let me know what you think no but thank you very much okay you mentioned um that this the story takes place in the 70s may I, may I just ask you know why did you pick the 70s it, it, you know. uh, that's a good question I think I wanted to show I mean I know I wanted to show an era of comics that's very different from today where you know comics are such a part of the pop culture fabric, you know, in terms of TV shows, movies, just general awareness is so high. And the idea of comic book creation becoming something more, you know, the idea that if I create this character, could then become a movie or a show that didn't exist in the Mm seventies. It was a job, you know, people did it and writers with the idea of like maybe writing a great American novel down the line, but it was very much like, yes, I'm coming to work to make the donuts in a way, you know, pretty much more akin to newspaper publishing where you're just kind of cranking stuff out, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of criticism, like so much great work came out of that period. But yes. um, I wanted to showcase a time where comics was considered much more niche and much more inside baseball. And yes. it was very concentrated in the New York area. Now it's a very global mm-hmm. uh, art form, which is great. You know, you can be drawing in the Philippines or, you know, you know, where you are in Hawaii and not, yes. and, you know, you know, and send your files over email. Whereas before it would benefit you if you mm-hmm. worked in New York and it was just, the community was there centralized in New York. So I wanted yes. to showcase that. 
Yes, and then um, it was before it was before comic shops really, you know, before the back, the secondary market, you know. Yes. If you went to the newsstand and you missed Spider-Man, you couldn't find that issue. You know, you you'd have to settle for something else. Whereas now, you know, you can go on eBay, you can do whatever to track things down. Or even yes. ten years ago, you could just go to the comic shop and hopefully find the back issues. And and that's I think where the real fandom, like the obsessive fandom and the continuity and things mm-hmm. like that came out of. Whereas I think 75 was really the tipping point before the comic shop market became as powerful as it would become soon. Soon, Yes. And the other thing, too, is because also, too, it's like, as you mentioned, you know, as you mentioned, this is like really way before comic shops, you know, um, came in, you know, start to pop up, you know, because we would like all of us would buy comics from either 7-Eleven, like you said, a newsstand. Yeah. Um, the drug stores, right. you know. Oh, oh, yes. And then, like you said too, it's like if we miss, like if we miss, um, spite. Let's say, um, Spider Man one seventy nine, and it's a you know, then it, the store continues in one eighty. If we miss issue one eighty, we're we're stuck, you know. <laughs> I mean, there was a secondary market. You could go to a convention. But, people would resell old comics, but this yeah. was a it wasn't really a business yet. And, you know, publishers weren't catering to this back issue market yet. They were just printing stuff, doing, you know, the newsstand was also a mess. You know, it yeah. was, you had to overprint so much to get X amount of sales. So it was a very broken kind of business model that I think a lot of the community, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people saw comics as like a sinking ship at the time. Though that's yeah. come, up, come up, you know, everyone always thinks comics are, are doomed and, you know, comics still find a way to kind of pull themselves out. Yeah, but uh, but I'm going to also say too, but it's also interesting too. Even though you mentioned like convention, even conventions back at that time, like in what I'm going to make it clear, like, well, because when I was growing up in the 70s, I don't even really know if we really had a quote unquote convention because usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, because whenever I hear about conventions in the 70s, it's always like a hotel room, dealers. And then maybe George Takei from Star Trek, you know, <laughs> yeah, hotel ballroom dealers, a few creators, you know, I, you know, some of those com- kind of comic conventions still exist today and they're kind of charming, yes. but I, you know, I don't think the medium would have really succeeded or survived if it hadn't grown beyond that. And then also too, um, God, I, I, I would always hear these great stories from other creators. Like, yeah, when I was growing up, I remember this comic book shop was like down this alley. You have to walk down these steps and it's like in this basement. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because there is a comic convention or show that's mentioned in the novel. And I remember working on it and sending Sandy the, the manuscript. And he was like, he sent me a picture of the program from that show. Oh, my God. So he was there. I mean, I described it because I looked it up online. and kind Yeah. Of- but in the novel, but he was there. He has a copy. I think Jack Kirby signed it because Kirby was there and um, the creator of The Shadow was there. So in a weird way, Sandy was at the same show as Carmen. <laughs> That's pretty. Yeah, it was neat. I'm going to ask, did you put, did you drop Sandy's name in the book at that being at that convention? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That would be funny. As Carmen yeah. walks through the aisle, she bumps into some guy, you know, hey, watch where you're going, or some kid, watch where you're going, yeah. lady. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't do that. I, I There are a lot of Easter eggs and nods to real people, though. Yes, and then I'm going to ask, um, yes, can you um, talk about, like, the Easter eggs, or some of the Easter eggs, and even use um, real creators' names in the book? 
Yeah, one of the big things for me is I didn't want it to feel like some kind of alternate universe. Yes. Um, you know, I wanted it to weave the story into actual comic book history. Uh, I love, obviously, Cavalier and Clay. Um, and one thing, you know, I wanted Secret Identity to feel like it could have happened. Like you squint mm-hmm. a little, maybe it did happen. Like maybe the links did come out. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, obviously you consult a lawyer and you ask, like, what can you do? And yeah. the big thing is, you know, you can mention people as long as like it's confirmed fact that these mm-hmm. things happen that they were there and and that they're not acting out of character or in a way that might upset them um so you get a lot of references like at the convention she's there and she mentioned seeing jack kirby she sees len lean she sees like a lot of people as she's walking down the hall yeah she references you know you hear there's we talk about denny o'neill and neil adams batman run there's a lot of historical context Mm -hmm. um and also like references to things that have been historically confirmed like the the idea that the new york editorial heads would play poker you know, once mm-hmm. a week, you know, uh, I think Jeff Carlisle, who's the head of Triumph, mentions being at that game in, in one of the chapters. So it, I wanted it to feel embedded into actual like history as opposed yes. to just, you know, just happening in a world where there's a super duper man or a rat man. <laughs> yeah. you know, like cake on mm-hmm. what really, I, I didn't want to do that because it would feel like part of the fun is that you're in the real world, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then also, too, I'm going to say um, just from here, because then it. Then it kind of because for me as a reader, if you know you start describing yeah um you know you know these you know um this amazing creator who you know who draws these cool circles and his name is um uh, is uh you know um uh, like uh, Jack George you know I'm not gonna be sitting there going is he saying Jack Kirby my mind's not going to do it's like you're going no this is jack kirby he did the kirby crackles okay now i can move on well it's funny because i think i'm sure a lot of people read this as well but alan moore wrote a very long short story in his recent short story collection and it's very much a takedown of the comic book industry but it exists in its own world i'm not talking Mm -hmm. i don't want to talk about the merits of it it's it's that's for readers to decide but instead of weaving it through and i don't think he could just because he yeah. uses kind of caricatures of real people and they do terrible yes. things so he couldn't really like mention them by name but that's where they kind of diverge like i mm-hmm. wanted this book to feel like it happened mm-hmm. and i think he his designs for that story were different so there's mm-hmm. there's ways to do it but oh yeah but the other thing too is like um like you mentioned you know the you know the um the editorial some of the editorial staffs playing poker that's so cool just to hear that story yeah you know and also too um how much fun how much fun did you have doing your research for this book because my correct me if i now and what i'm leaning to is that you had to call some of the comic book create like louis simonson and yeah. some other writers and artists during those times right it was great. I mean, I've had the the honor and pleasure of getting to know a lot of these people just over my time working in comics, but I knew I was writing a little bit outside of my experience. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't even alive in 1975, not to mention not a woman, not a queer woman and not working in comics in that era. So I wanted to be sure, at least on the comics front and across the board, that I was being true to what this what might happen. And so you know, I talked to a lot of talented creators that worked in comics at the time and beyond, obviously, like Linda Fight, and she co-created The Cat, which was Marvel's first female starring superhero title, which came out around the same time. So The Lynx is in many ways a nod to The Cat. Um, nice. Mm-hmm. And with Linda, I just walked her through the, the you know, I had, I had never met her before, but I had gotten her contact info from, from I think, Sean Howe, who wrote Marvel The Untold Story, which is yes. a great 
nonfiction book about Marvel, but um, you know, she, I walked her through the premise. I said, this is what I'm thinking of happening. Mm-hmm. Like, is this crazy? Like, what was it like working in the bullpen? And she gave some great feedback. The same with Louise, who I've known a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weezy was really helpful in just kind of giving color and context about working in comics. What was it like being a woman working in comics at the time? Mm-hmm. And just little details like those volleyball games in Central Park really happened. Um, so it was, you know, that's mentioned in the book. Paul Levitz was a great resource. Yes. Just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he read the manuscript, you know, not for like editorial notes, but just like kind of fact checking. Yes. Um, and Jerry Conway, uh, you know, I was very generous with his time. We ended up talking for like almost two hours over the phone and he gave a lot of nice color and context. And, and there's there's a little joke that you'll find it if you'll know it when you get to it, uh, where he he shared like a really funny, funny anecdote. And I was like, I just have to get this in the book somehow. So it, it's yes. in there. Um, but, you know, he talked about things like where the freelancers live that was cheapest in Manhattan and, you know, what they did for fun and like things like that. Like li- those were the details I wanted. I didn't want to know, oh, what date did this issue come out? Like that's yeah. stuff I could pick up and research. Mm-hmm. And I did, but I wanted the color. And um, who else did I speak to? I spoke to a lot of people. Karen Berger was remarkably helpful, just uh, giving her perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Lori Sutton, who worked as an editor at Marvel and that she worked at DC and worked at the Comics Code. So a mm-hmm. lot of stuff like that was really that's you know, I will never I can't thank them enough for giving their time, you know, mm-hmm. which is valuable to just talk to some guy who's writing a mystery novel. <laughs> oh my god, that is that is so cool. Um the title of this book, Secret Identity. How did you come up with this title? Because to me, already as you mentioned already, because there's so many layers to this title yeah. already. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the idea of the secret identity, it's like the central trope of mm-hmm. comics, like of superhero comics, which is, you know, if I was going to write a story, a novel, a mystery novel set in comics in the 70s in New York, it would have to be about superheroes just because that was like the mainstream. I didn't want to yes. minimize everything else going on in comics, like underground comics or yeah. you know, erotic comics or anything else. But I knew that it would have to be a superhero just to kind of mm-hmm. play with those tropes and the idea of identity and doing mm-hmm. something in secret. Because Carmen is very much creating this character in secret. No one knows that she's yes. writing. Um, no one really knows that she has this skill or this talent. And it's a commentary on the links that I think people will go to to create. Mm-hmm. Yes. to have their kind of creative ideas come to light. And so that was really interesting to work on. And yeah, the sequel is going to be Alter Ego. So that's the idea of the next one that's coming out uh, next summer, hopefully. Oh, nice. That is so nice. Um, Thank you for, an- thank you for ask- um, answering that follow-up question because I was asking you, will we see more of Carmen? Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, well, there's more to it. It's not... Um, Alter Ego is set in the modern day, so it's not going to okay. be like, you know, one thing I wanted to avoid was having it become like a shtick, like, oh, this is secret identity in the 80s or secret identity in the mm, 90s. Yes. I, I see it very much as a duology, like these two books, but you could read them independently. Like mm-hmm. if you read Secret Identity and then you read Alter Ego, you will get more out of it. But if yes. you just read Alter Ego, you will understand and it's not going to be confusing. It's the same way I would write my PI novels. Like mm-hmm. if you read the third book in the series, you're going to have the first two spoiled. But you'll be mm-hmm. able to exist in that book without anything else. Yeah. And that's that's how I approach series. Um, I didn't anticipate it becoming a series, but at the end of Secret Identity, there's a moment set in the quote unquote present day or close to the present day that once I wrote it, I realized there's more to the story. Like there's literally something that happens right after this scene. And that's where mm-hmm. Alter Ego picks up right after the epilogue of Secret Identity. Um, and it's a story about 
um, it's about fandom. It's about, you know, how yeah. we come to terms with the people that create the things we love. You know, it's a little bit about parenthood and generational trauma and just like mm-hmm. coming to terms with the people that have come before us. Um, but it's, it's about a, a female storyboard artist who works in film who used to work in comics, but left the field because she just kind of hit a wall. Yes. And she gets pulled back in when her favorite character from her childhood is being relaunched by this obscure media company. And so mm-hmm. this company triumph entertainment is relaunching the legendary links as a TV series, a comic mm-hmm. uh, video, all these things. And there's a social media push to have her uh, draw the character because people know her work. They know she's a fan. Um, and so she takes the gig, but then as she digs deeper into what it entails, she realizes there's much more to this character and who actually created the character than she first thought. And so, um, you know, yes. at the same, she's uncovering the mystery of the links, but also uncovering a deeper, darker mystery that affects her friends mm-hmm. at the same time. Oh, that sounds really good. good. I can't wait to read that one too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Oh my God. All right. Um, off the cuff question, because since we're talking about comics in the seventies and so forth, you're a big comics book fan. I know this is going to be only an audio podcast, but I see your T-shirt. It is oh, yeah. <laughs> just it is the Justice League, the animated series. Yes. I'm going to ask, what is your um um, what is your most prized comic from the '70s that you have in your collection? Wow, that is a good question. Um, hmm. you know, I have to say, as someone who lives in a New York apartment with limited space, um. My prized possessions have become artwork, you know, mm-hmm. comic book artwork that I can hang up on the wall. And this is a non-answer answer, but my prized possession so far currently at the moment is a special print that Sandy, the artist of, of Secret Identity, drew mm-hmm. of what he envisioned the first issue of The Links to look like. Because oh, we no. never show it in the book. We show interstitial pages. Yes. Um, and after the book was done, I said, you know, we really should do the cover. Like, what would the cover look like? And mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's got a very Howard Chaikin vibe in that it's mm-hmm. the links under the spotlight and people are pointing guns at yes. her. It's got the logo treatment, Triumph Entertain- Triumph Comics Presents, and the Triumph logo, mm-hmm. um, and Sandy colored it. And he sent it to me, and I was like, this is amazing. And then he, uh, my boss at the time, James Lucas Jones at Oni, Sandy sent it to him, and they had it printed on, like, massive poster paper. So it's uh-huh. like this. And then my wife got it framed. So um it hangs up over my desk and uh it was like such a fun collaboration between all these people that have meant much to me over my time in comics Mm -hmm. and like my boss at the time my collaborator my wife just kind of jamming to put this great like thoughtful present together and so it's like it's almost like it's from the 70s but it's not and um, i think one of the amazing things for me on this journey of secret identity has been we've basically manifested this character Mm -hmm created this idea that this character existed at this time yes. and kind of built the links into existence. And that's been really wild because now we're actually working on the comics. We're working on the links. Yes. I'm, can I ask you, can you talk about that? Um, can you talk about that? The comics? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, certainly. Sure. Um, so there's this uh, company called Zest World and they are a platform where creators can upload pages and connect with fans through newsletters and stuff. Um, and early on in their existence, they, they would hire creators to create this content and so one of the things is we're doing the legendary links we're yes. kind of covering the story and we're posting like five to ten page chapters on the newsletter 
um, of the issue of literally, it'll include some of the things you saw in Secret Identity, but mm -hmm. it's also pages. So we're filling out the issues. It's almost like a weird puzzle because when I wrote those sequences, I didn't think, oh, we're going to expand and, and fill out the issue. Yeah. So now I have to kind of take those sequences and say, these are the pages that go around it. Yes. Mm -hmm. This character. Um, and so it's me, Sandy, Gray Allison is coloring it, but all with a winking nod. So we never say it's Alex writing. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's Harvey, Harvey yes. Stern. We don't mention Carmen because yeah. we know that her credit doesn't come until later. And it's Doug Detmer. And so we're we're, we're credited, but in the minutia, like I'm the re, you know, I'm the archivist and yeah. like the uh, artist retoucher, you know, he retouches the artwork. And so it's like little things like that that are fun for us, but it's been really great. And I think the comics, you know, Sandy's a fantastic artist and just an amazing, amazing collaborator. So mm -hmm. it'll be coming out from Image next year as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's going to be nice. That's so cool. But I'm going to ask, and, and again, I'm just going to ask again. So let's say if um, listeners want to check it out right now, where can they go to check out the legendary links is it a, is it a, like a webtoon comic? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a it's they're traditionally comp drawn traditionally drawn comics, but you can scroll through and read them. It's um go to Zest World, Z E S T World, all one word dot com slash Alex Segura, and that'll take you to that and to the other series I'm doing there called The Awakened. Oh, okay. Yeah, check that one out too. Okay. All right. I'm slowly wrapping this up. Couple more, a uh, few more questions. Um. I'm going to ask you, what was your favorite convention moment, either as a fan or a creator? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I didn't go to a lot of conventions as a, before I was in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite moments, and this was early on in my career working at Wizard, but, you know, I still have that kind of wide-eyed, I still have it. I still mm -hmm. think, you know, this is, it's fun to be doing this for a living, but um, I remember sheepishly going up to Mark Bagley, who like drew Spider-Man through most of my like not childhood, but my early days reading Spider-Man. And I just said, you know, look, I just want to thank you for your work. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. And he was like, You want to grab a beer? And we sat and just chatted for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And then he had to go do something for Wizard because he was one of the guests of the Wizard show. But um you know, I remember those moments of kindness, most of all, you know, like yeah. things like that, where, where it's a creator that doesn't have to give you their time. Yes. So I try to do that too. When, when people come up to me, you want to, you want to pay it forward as much as you can. I'm going to say that is so cool that he goes, Hey, you want to grab a beer? It's not like, yeah. Oh, Hey, thank you, man. Here, let me, let me, let me just draw something. I mean, no, that's still cool, but yeah. I mean, for me, the value is the memory of having that conversation as opposed yeah. to having this issue i mean i'm sure that would be cool too but you know he was very gracious with his time and he's still working he's still drawing like yes. spider-man with the plot still doing so much great stuff so yeah i guess that's the first one that pops into my mind all right um any um like do you have any convention or store appearances that's coming up um later this year Yes, I am going to be at Terrificon later this month in Connecticut, oh, which will be a great show. Uh, a lot of amazing creators are going to be there, like Tom King, Jimmy Palmiotti, Phil Hester, Ron Mars. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a lot. Rick Leonardi, I think, is going to be there. So that'll be great. It's uh, at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So I'll be there. I'll have a table. Um, I'm also going to be at the South Jersey Comics Expo. I hope I'm not getting the name wrong, but that'll be sometime in October um 
in August, I'll be doing a small show in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, um, mm-hmm. the Wellsboro PA Comic Festival. So that'll be neat. And New York Comic Con, I'll have a table as well. Oh my God. I still, I, one day I have to go out to Terrific Con because I know, yeah, I know Mitch Halleck, Mitch Halleck. Yeah, um, Mitch- I know John, John Suntress, he keeps, you know, talking about it on Word Balloon. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen the list. Of, the, the, it's great. Oh my God. I got to go yeah, there yeah. one day. Oh my God. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And then hopefully one day you come out here to Hawaii to a comic convention too. Yeah, I love that. Let me. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now that that leads the perfect segue to my next question: Have you and your family been to Hawaii? I have not. I would happily go to Hawaii whenever it comes together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Any closing words to our listeners? I just want to thank. You know, I want to thank Ahoy for this opportunity to write this cryptid story. Steve Bryan, who's an amazing collaborator, Sarah and Tom at Ahoy for having me. Thank you so much for these gracious questions. Uh, and to the readers, yeah, just thank you for the support. It's been really an amazing journey. Like this next week marks um, a year of writing freelance, writing full time, as opposed to, you know, having the day job and writing on the side. Mm-hmm. So that's been a really interesting journey. And I'm excited that my readers are supporting me and uh, I appreciate it. So. Alex, mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to interview. Thank you very much. I look forward to reading your story in Project Cryptid. That and that and listeners, that issue comes out in um issue number two. And definitely I will be picking up a copy of Secret Identity. I will. Thank you so much. This oh. is um I also want to thank Hannah of Superfan Promotions for help setting up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much. So, listeners, again, um, Ahoy Comics is putting out another anthology series. It, and if you love Ahoy Comics, you and if you, you've read some of their comics, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And sometimes what's nice about their comic stories is there's heart behind it. And I love that. It's great. So Project Cryptid, the first issue comes out on September 6th. Um, the final order cutoff for, ish, for that issue is um, through Diamond july 27th through lunar on august 6th you know please you know like i encourage you please put this on your pull list already you know please do i want to thank drew the coast of comics for fun and profit for putting this episode together drew thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes and if you are a new listener please check out new episodes of comics for fun and profit that comes out every saturday and i want to thank you the listeners thank you very much for your time Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. The good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit have been doing two episodes a week um, for quite some time now. And it's all thanks to, first of all, Jason. And second of all, our patrons who allow us to add the space on our server, broadcast more, store more, share more with you listeners. I'm envious of those of you who have unlimited storage and media server capabilities we we pay for ours here at at the c4fap it ain't cheap we thank you so much for those of you who go to patreon.com slash comics fun profit and contribute at any level to say thanks to say i want to be a part of your slack channel conversations i want to get exclusives 
I want to get early access. I want to get ad-free access. I want to get swag. I want to get some free stuff. Whatever your reasoning is, we appreciate it at any level because it does make a difference. So from the bottom of Kyle and I and Jason's heart, thank you for contributing.